Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Fear makes people act in various ways. This is especially evident in our society, in our world today. People are afraid of losing a variety of things. Their liberty, their independence, their functionality, their health, their livelihood. Religion has even been accused of fear-mongering of creating the fear of hell in people in order to subject people into a certain way of living. And unfortunately, Christianity in our country has been abused especially and turned into nothing but morality. I grew up watching Veggie Tales, and really that's the the basis for that show. It was a show that, that claimed to be Christian but simply used biblical stories most of the time to teach morality. If Christ was mentioned, he was mentioned simply as an example to follow rather than the one who saved us from our sins and and does what we can't do. And and this affects uh, our society. This affects how we live as Christians. Uh, At at best, it it makes us a little moralist. uh, And at worst, it, it turns people off from the faith because there's no grace. But we Christians who have been created by God, redeemed by Jesus, and are being sanctified by the Spirit, we don't act out of fear. We don't try to be a good person because we're afraid of going to hell. Hell has been defeated. We've been freed from hell by faith in Jesus. And this reality affects how we live our lives. We follow Jesus. We do what God wants, not to escape hell, but because Jesus has already saved us from it. But if we're going to be followers or disciples of Jesus, it means we're going to suffer on this side of the grave. Suffering, however, is not something that we're accustomed to. And you can see it all around you. How many times have you heard the phrase, uh, new normal, to describe our world's situation? I hear it almost daily. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis, who lived uh, already, who had already lived during two pandemics and one world war, now watched as Nazis began sweeping through Europe at the beginning of the Second World War. And now faced with the grim new normal, many people of his day wondered what good formerly normal things were in a non-normal time. Uh, People wanted to give up on good things. They wanted to give up on education. They wanted to give up on church. Because getting the world back to normal was more important. C.S. Lewis responded, I think it important to try and see the present calamity in a true perspective. The war creates absolutely no new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human situation so that we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. 
human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. We're mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life has never been normal. Even those periods which we think are most tranquil turn out on closer inspection to be full of crises, alarms, difficulties, and emergencies. Life is often frustrating. Things don't always seem to work out. Like Peter, toiling all night and catching nothing. That's our life. Our life is usually frustrating. The new normal that everyone keeps talking about is not normal at all, or is not new at all. In fact, the only new thing is that we get so comfortable, we've gotten so comfortable thinking that we could solve all of our problems by just thinking and working our way out. The same is true even in the church. When Peter says in our epistle lesson, finally all of you live in harmony with one another, he's talking to and about the church. He's talking to believers. That implies that some of the suffering that was happening in these churches was happening from each other, from within. This is a reality that many Christians aren't really aware of. They expect the the church to be perfect. However, people in the church are sinful, who don't always show a sympathy or love or compassion or humility. And this makes the church a place where sometimes people suffer from each other. And problems are often compounded when there's a difficulty, such as a financial crisis or, or persecution, from the outside. When the world seems to be threatening the church, uh, everyone has their own opinions as to how to deal with that. We see this happening in the Old Testament. When Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt, some of the people's hearts were still back in Egypt. They wanted to go back to their former life of slavery because at least there in Egypt, ironically, they had food and water given to them. And so they persecuted Moses and Aaron and even talked about stoning them because their hearts were on the things of the world. And we too can get so caught up in the things of the world that we want the church to be formed around the things of the world. The things that I like. The the music, the potlucks, the people, the no masks rather than the things that God has already given to us to bring peace, including each other, including our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God has placed each one of us, each one of you, in our lives for each other. The church is and will be filled with sinners. We should not pretend to think that the church would be perfect if it were made up of different people or people more like me. God has placed each one of us here with our differences to serve each other. And God calls us to not only repay, God calls us not to repay evil for evil, not to harm the body of Christ and, and, and leave the church if some harm is done to you, but to repay evil with good, to have patience, with each other. 
As Peter says, let the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him seek peace and pursue it. How much can a church thrive with just one loving person? One person who, who loves God and loves their neighbor, despite the personal cost to themselves, who loves the things of God more than the things of the world. Being a disciple means suffering, long-suffering, even as a result of other Christians. God calls us to be slow to anger, to keep our tongue from evil, and to be patient. Because we don't act out of fear. We act because of God's promise. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their requests. God's promise is that he is always working, even when it seems like he isn't. God works everything for our good, for the good of those he calls. God wants to bring us to the ultimate good, which is finally heaven. But God also wants to work good in us now. But the way to that good is often through hardship, through difficulty, through being formed. And so we wait for God because God is good and we know God will do what is best. There's no doubt God will keep his promises and do what is best. But the question is when? How long? How long do I have to wait? How long do I have to wait and continue to show mercy and compassion uh, to others who, who don't show that to me? How long do I have to suffer? And so that waiting, of course, we think is not good. But it is. Patience is a good thing. If you're not waiting for something, patience is easy. But patience is something that we sinners have in short supply, especially in our day when, when, when uh, we expect instant gratification for everything. But the way to greater patience is through having to wait, being permitted to suffer. God is working good in us, even through evil. God wants to root out anything that would hinder us from heaven and hinder us from living in harmony with one another. And so we wait for the Lord, as Peter did, who normally was impatient. Master, we worked hard all through the night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. I will keep going. I will lay everything down and follow you. An even more seasoned and patient Peter would write years later, in our epistle lesson. But even if you should happen to suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. So we don't fear what the world, fear, what the world fears. We don't fear losing anything in this world. We don't fear whatever difficulties may come upon us. We don't fear losing our, our normal lives because the things of this world are not our primary concern. And so Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. 
This verse is really the Seides Doctrina, or the theological basis for apologetics, or the act of defending Scripture. Uh, Christian scholars devote their lives to the science of creation, the evidence of Noah's flood, and so on. And these things are, are good things for us to know uh, of too and, and be able to defend. But let me ask you, who are the primary people in your life that you will most often and most likely need to give an answer for your hope? Your family, your friends, your kids, your spouse. If your primary concern is the things of this world, the fears of this world, the, the comfort of this world, that says something to those closest to you. But what if your primary concern is the things of the next world? And the things that God has told you are important in this world to prepare you for the next world. What would your Sundays look like? What would your weeks look like? What would your life look like? Our peace in Christ right now is absolutely perfect and eternal. This is God's normal. He has brought us into this normal, into his normal through baptism. God has opened the doors of his presence to us and promises us eternity in the new heaven and new earth, a world without disunity, a world without strife, without sin, without suffering, without fear, a world without end. These are things worth talking about. This is a hope worth defending, a life worth living for, a life given to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.